There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. The Bookshelf, what you should be reading. So what you should be reading, books about adventure. We've already spoken about Thinking on My Feet by Kate Humble. We've spoken about A Woman in the Wilderness by Miriam Lancewood. Um, we've also spoken about some fiction as well, if you'd like to go on an adventure from the comfort of your own sofa. Santa Montefiore's wonderful historical fiction. Um, those three authors are going to be attending the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature in February, and emiratesliftfest.com is where you can go for more information about that. But we are joined now by... One adventurous woman herself. We've been talking about adventurous women in books all day today, um, but we have one right with us in the studio. The first Arab woman to ski to the North Pole, unassisted, I believe. Elham Al Qasim, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so, in addition to that amazing thing on your resume, you also have a background in investment management and banking. You're a mother of three, mm-hmm. and you're an avid reader as well. Um, so, I, I know a little bit about your trip and I know that you're going to be introducing Serenal Fines at the festival and speaking to Gavin Thurston as well who's a BAFTA and Emmy award-winning wildlife cameraman Um, and some of the things that we're going to be talking about um, are I think the planning side of a lot of what they do there is an incredible amount of planning we were talking about this earlier that goes into the trips that they have to go on for um, for work or for exploration or whatever and I just wondered from your perspective having actually done something like this yourself um, how much planning went into becoming the first Arab woman to ski to the North Pole? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. Um, it was about six months of planning and preparation, maybe in fairness, three months of planning before I made the decision to actually do it. So there's some homework to do and, you know, a judgment call to make on whether it's an appropriate challenge for me and whether I was excited, really excited about doing it. Um, but it's all about preparation. Um mainly because there's so much basics that we take for granted every day that come into question when you go to the extremes of nature and expose yourself to the elements that can be make or break for you. So for example, um, on my first day on the expedition, I hadn't accounted for the fact that uh, my food, which was mainly energy bars, candy bars, and uh, loose uh, food items, would freeze, and therefore it would not be possible for me to bite off of the bar. Um, and so I completely lost all my blood sugar levels and lost my energy and, and, and thought I couldn't proceed. Um, but I learned that lesson the hard way and then uh, started waking up earlier and chopping up all of my snacks into bite-sized pieces that melted in my mouth. It's interesting because um, I think that's something that comes through the books that we're talking about today is it's often for anybody going on these um, adventures, not the things that they expect to go wrong that do go wrong. It's the, the unexpected things that, you know, they're constantly surprising. Um, what were the things that you planned for that were actually OK, that were, that were fine and, and that kind of surprised you that they went OK? So I think I was very focused on the physical training both on strength and endurance. So I've never been a great endurance athlete. Um, I've always loved sports, but I haven't done anything long distance, neither swimming nor running. And so I was very focused on the fact that I would be skiing 12 hours per day. And would I be able to sustain that? And I hadn't I was more focused on that than how I would sustain 12 hours per day of skiing at minus 30 degrees Celsius. Mm. 
Um, and so I was, I would say, very prepared on that front. The challenges were not how do I make it to the end of the day. Yeah. It was more how do I regulate my body temperature so I can enjoy, look up, see the views, the the once in a lifetime views that you know zero point zero 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 one percent of the world have ever seen firsthand. Um, that I can uh, enjoy and reflect. There's a massive internal journey that happens when you're alone and in silence, um, doing a repetitive motion with no disruption of sound for 12 hours per day, day in, day out, with no communication on, with the outside world. So I think I was very prepared on that side. You know, it's not like I couldn't pull my sled. It's not like mm. I couldn't sustain the 12 hours. It was more... And also on the food side. So I, I would say I, I knew what, what to expect, and that was fine. Um, I think the cold and the silence was more what I had not thought about at all. I just didn't realize it was a thing that would be that big in the experience. Cold and the silence. And that's something that's come mm -hmm. through again and again as well, is when we live in the city and then we leave it, you know, we don't really notice how noisy everything is until we're out of that environment. Um, so I think it's interesting that you brought that up as well. Now, just very briefly, I know that um, you're going to be introducing Serranoff Finds at the Emirates Lit Fest. Um, I'm holding up a copy here for anybody um, watching us on Facebook Live of Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know, his autobiography. It's a beautiful book. Um, I know that you've dipped in and out of this. Um, did it feel at times that maybe you were speaking or uh, listening to an, an old friend who kind of knew exactly what you were going through? It's funny because um, when I got on the plane to head out towards the North Pole, so I went, I flew from here to Germany, Germany to Norway, Norway to Longyearbyen, and um, and that entire journey took a few days, um, and I was reading his book, and I'm pretty sure it's an older version of the same because some of the content was very familiar. Yeah. Um, and so when I opened it, when I saw this new version, I opened it, I started reading it. It was literally like going back in time to a very special moment in my life. And I remember when I read it the first time and again the second time, it's, I mean, what he has done is on a completely different level to what I've done in terms of the innovation that has gone into his ideas of the, the, the um, extremes that he was willing to go to of unexplored turf and territory. And by the way, I think the most interesting thing about him is he may be the last of a generation because there's very few truly untouched places left in this world. Perhaps the next generation will be outer space, maybe other galaxies, maybe we'll know how to travel through time. I don't know. But for this Earth and this planet, he is the last of a beautiful legacy of explore exploration. And so he was like a founding father. It's like listening to a founding father. But I also love that in all polar explorers, it's not the same in all areas of exploration. They treat it like a, um, a beautiful uh, curiosity to nurture. It's not an elite club that they don't want anyone to enter. It's, I will pique your curiosity by sharing my experience. And there, I, I sort of have this feeling when I read it that he, were I to talk to him, would be so happy that I, even though I didn't ski for 60 days to get there, I ski for nine days, he would be so happy that his stories and his journeys and his chronicle of all, of it, all his experience has inspired a simple, normal, 
corporate mom of three that just likes to push her boundaries on every level, mental, physical, emotional, social, ideological, has taken that inspiration and gone and done something with it. So I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. We are back in the studio today with Elham Al-Qasim, who is just awe-inspiring. She's the first Arab woman to reach the North Pole unassisted. Um, she is a mother of three. She has a background in investment and uh, wait investment management and she also is an avid reader and she'll be introducing Serrano Fines at the Emirates Lit Fest in February and we were briefly talking about how inspiring Mad Bad and Dangerous to Know his uh, memoir and autobiography was for her and we're moving on now to another book because she's going to be speaking to Gavin Thurston um, about his book Journeys in the Wild The Secret Life of a Cameraman the book has a forward by David Attenborough and Gavin Thurston is an Emmy Award winner BAFTA award winning wildlife cameraman and this is his story um so Elham did you first of all most important question about book did you like it you know um when I first saw a size I was a little bit overwhelmed but then when I opened it a few things happened one I realized it's written so cleverly almost like journal entries in his in and grouped into parts of his experience in his life um, from such a long experience, um, which makes it very digestible. But more importantly, when I first opened it, as chance would have, I never opened books from the front. I always just opened to whichever page may open. And I opened, and the date of the journal entry was April 2010. Borneo is the camp um, just at 79 degrees north latitude, right, right below the North Pole, and I was there at that time. And so I was absolutely blown away at I've the, got chills. Wow. <laughs> the serendipity <laughs> of this, you know, to know that we literally crossed paths 10 years ago and that we're going to reflect on that together 10 years on, a decade later, as we enter the next decade. Um, so that absolutely, I did love it. It was uh, easy to, to chop and change through and relate to different parts of my own experience. Um, and I really love how uh, how we two things. One is the cameraman's view is the view that is often forgotten, but one of the most important, right? So everyone would probably pick up a book written by David Attenborough, but would everyone automatically know who Gavin is, although he did so much of the heavy lifting? And so I, I feel like we got a secret lens into the rest of the story that maybe we, we otherwise wouldn't have gotten. Yeah. And also, I loved how relatable it was to every other person's journey when they're pursuing their passion. So it's not a set of lessons that only applies to someone that's pursuing a career in film or uh, videography or otherwise or, or documentaries. It applies to anyone that's trying to make a difference in this world in anything that they do, whether it's um, journalism or whether it's technology disruption, whatever it is that's your passion, this is almost a wise account of how much of it is luck and how, mu how much of it is going with the flow, how much of it is grit and perseverance, and an honest account of how much things go wrong and how much it hurts in your gut. And as he says, lost all his hair when he was worried about yeah. providing for his kids. I mean, it's it's very raw and very honest and very relatable. And this is what I love about the book. What's also incredibly moving is the forward that Sir David Attenborough writes to Gavin. And you said there that we kind of forget about the cameraman 
you know, the person behind the camera, like everybody knows who Sir David Attenborough is, but Gavin Thurston isn't necessarily a household name. And in the foreword, he says that if you're traveling to dangerous and hazardous parts of the world, he says your ideal companion would be a natural history cameraman. And he goes on to say they have powers of persuasion that soften the hearts of customs officials and even armed military border guards. They can produce edible meals from the most unpromising ingredients. They can, of course, diagnose and usually cure almost any problem involving a vehicle of any kind and drive it with imperturbable aplomb through the densest and most aggressive traffic. They can even improvise solutions to problems with newfangled high-tech devices that they have never seen before. I recall one occasion in the Galapagos when a cameraman fixed a sudden fault that developed in his electronic camera by using a hypodermic needle taken from a medical kit and held in position deep in the camera's entrails with a blob of chewing gum. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's something about it, their passion... It's how they apply themselves, right? Because it's not just any cameraman, it's a wildlife cameraman. And the fact they've chosen to be there and their inspiration for doing it is not the commercial return. It's really the window into the real world. And I say real world because I do believe the cities we live in are unfortunately sometimes misleading for us on what real life is like and what harmony is and what balance is and how the cycle of things good and difficult work. Um, you have to have a passion for that. And that's the passion that makes the photographer stick the needle in and hold it in place with, with chewing gum. <laughs> well, speaking of passion, I was interested, and he talks about this right at the start, as to where, where this passion actually started for him. What made him think, okay, photography, being a cameraman, that's what I want to do with my life. Um, here he is talking about the moment that basically changed the course of history for him when he was 10 years old. What inspired me about photography was the ability to share things you'd witnessed. When I was 10, I went on a school trip to Windsor Safari Park. My aunt had lent me her box brownie, which was a little film camera. And the first photograph I ever took was of that orca right up out of the water, hitting its nose on a beach ball. There was something magical about taking that picture that one moment was frozen there for eternity. Much as I loved art, I was bad at it. So photography suddenly for me was an outlet for the artist in me. It was like somebody opening this massive door into a whole new world. It was like somebody opening a massive door into this whole new world. Um, I just want to mention as well something that doesn't come across in the video. He talks about this moment in the book um, and he does say, I will later learn that orca, incredible intelligent animals, should never be kept in captivity. But seeing one so close with my own eyes has without doubt instilled in me the beginnings of a passion for wildlife in general. Um, moments that spoke to you in the book. I, I really enjoyed the forward. I loved what Sir David Attenborough had to say about cameramen. And then seeing that in context with everything that he summarised in that moment about what a cameraman is able to do and why they are the perfect companions just basically itemized in all of Gavin's journal entries with everything that he did um the sixth sense that he had um that he talked about that he doesn't seem to quite understand where he would be woken up at different times of day when he was basically waiting for this bird to land in a nest and he would oversleep, but somehow, miraculously, every single day when the bird actually arrived so he could take a picture of it, he would wake up. Yeah, and it just goes to show that there's a natural rhythm to life, and it's within us. Whether we are attuned to it or not, it is within us. It's just about creating that space 
um, for that natural rhythm to switch on. I mean, definitely when, when we were at the North Pole, it's not like we need an, an alarm. And I remember on the eighth day, it was the second to the last day, I heard the sound, which was so, it felt like it was disruptive down my spine. And, it, and I turned to the guide and said, what, what is that sound? And he said, it's probably a helicopter not far arriving at the North Pole to pick someone up that has arrived. And the sound of the helicopter, just the rhythm of it was just so disruptive because I was in that rhythm of nature where all I heard was ice and snow and it was just, you know? And so this, this natural rhythm and allowing your body to move with it is really something that probably with 25, 30 years in nature, he, he has had the blessing of, uh, of refining. I know that you are going to talk to him, obviously, about this incredible moment where you probably crossed paths um, in April 2010 at the North Pole. Um, what other burning questions do you have for him? Oh, well, you know, one thing that really stuck out for me throughout his book is his appreciation that over time he has come to believe and live by the fact that no matter how much hardship he's gone through along the way, he's found kindness and help. And so his fundamental belief that humans individually are mostly kind. And it's this calling for each of us to look to the kindest part of each other rather than the the part of us that is governed by fear or or other untrue emotions. And so it's, you know, really hearing more from him on how he brings that into his whole life beyond just his career. So that's one thing that's top of mind for me. Um, I think everything to do with Turkmenistan is very curious for me. I really enjoyed that part of the book. And um, I would love to probe a little bit on his perspective on chance, fate versus the fate that you make for yourself. So, you know, for example, he spoke about how um, he was getting home after he finished studying and um, hitchhiked home because he spent all his money out the night before and got in the car with some man who he doesn't know his name in a 1967 Bentley. Mm. And, um, and how he just happened to mention that he wanted this internship. And the man was kind enough to say, well, it's not far off our way. And he took him there, stopped, he applied, he got the internship. And so there is some chance, some, some things that he didn't know. But what I really want to probe on is he also made the most of what he had. So, you know, he got his inheritance from his grandmother. He bought his first camera. He could have blown it, but he was also thoughtful about the moments in his life that were make or break in his career. And that's really what I'd love to probe because I think that's something that's beautiful and meaningful for a global audience, no matter what their background um, we are going to have to leave it there, but bef before we do, um, I want to return very briefly back to you because I don't think I've asked you this. We've talked about the inspiring moment for Gavin when he realised, you know, what he wanted to do and he wanted to go off and be a photographer and a cameraman. Um, but what was the moment for you that inspired you to, to do what you did to ski to the North Pole? What was your turning point? So I, um, I had been very much, I'm a very academic girl. If I could, I'd be 
doing PhD after PhD. Um, but I had finished my master's and needed to start working. And I, as chance would have it, started this career in investment banking in London. I was at JP Morgan in London. And it was um, the right thing to do on paper. It was great. And I, I, I always look back to that time with gratitude because it really cemented my academic knowledge into practical skills to take into the workplace. But it also uh, pulled me away from the fact that there are many aspects to my character that need to be fulfilled. And of course, you can turn, dial something down, but you can't switch it off completely. And so there was something in me that was calling, that needed to really understand my limits, that needed to continue to feel like I'm continuing to learn, that needed to know that um, everything that I had invested so much time and effort in three years in banking could be translated into other aspects of my life. And I spent a couple of months thinking how to do that. I promised myself it would be something that I'm not good at because otherwise I'm setting myself up for an obvious win. And um, and it wasn't exactly coming to me. People said, oh, go climb a mountain. It didn't resonate with me. There isn't enough teamwork in mountaineering. So it wasn't, I didn't quite find it. And then one dark, dark London morning when you wake up before the sun, I had this flash image and it could not be anything other than a, a vision of a, National Geographic um, article that I had read and it was a double spread open and there was a man pulling a sledge skiing to the North Pole. And I remember thinking when I read the article, I was very young when I read it, that that man must have been the strongest, most resilient man in the world. And so I thought back to it and then I was like, I could never do that. I, I just said never but what is that? Nothing is impossible. And I started researching and that was it. And I just knew it was a calling. It was a magnetic pole. I just felt like the whole, the axis of the earth, everything revolves, everything is south from there. All of that was just so magical to me and I wanted to see it for myself. Thank you so much, Elham Alakasim, for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we can't wait to hear what you have to ask Gavin Thurston and Serrano Fines Thank at the Lit you. Fest in February. Great. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.